I'm Eric Alvarez, and I would like to introduce you to a marvelous man and a heartwarming human being, Nathan. Nathan and his wife have experienced the emotions of potentially adopting internationally, of opening their home and their hearts to children who they knew may leave as is common in the foster care system, and more recently now having four toddlers of their own and a beautiful family. My wife and I have been married for going on 11 years tomorrow. Oh wow, um, yeah. congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. And so we always knew uh, from when we started dating that we wanted to have a family. Um, and we tried to have a family for quite some time. Mm -hmm. It wasn't working out for us. And we decided, you know what, let's go the adoption route. Um, and so when we were in Tucson, we started out the, the journey of an international adoption. Okay. Um, we were planning to adopt initially from Ethiopia. Um, wow. Started down that process, started down with all the paperwork, and got an email from our agency that there were three brothers who were available in the Congo. Okay. And so we said, okay, let's switch over, let's go the, the Congo route. Right. Started again, sent in the paperwork. The day we were going to send the check uh, to our agency, we got a phone call from them saying the brothers have been placed with another family. Oh, wow. um, so even though we told you that they would come to your house, they're they're not going to. Um, the, mm -hmm. the orphanage that they're with is has placed them elsewhere. And we were heartbroken. Um, and we had sent pictures of the, the boys to, to family and said, these are gonna be our boys. Uh, we're really looking forward to bringing them into our life. And so when that fell through, we kind of stepped back, reassessed, and said, you know what, that didn't happen for a reason. Mm -hmm. There's gotta be something else for us. And while we were uh, in the transition from Tucson to, to Reno, it was when that all fell, fell apart, but we were also, we were doing a home study here in Reno because we had to have that done for our agency. Right. So even though that adoption fell apart, the uh, home study person was still gonna come in and do our home study so we could get to a different adoption. Mm -hmm. um, and the home study person actually happened to work for Catholic Charities here in town and said, have you guys thought about foster care? Mm -hmm. um, and we said, you know what? We have some friends in Tucson who have done foster to adopt that we hadn't really heard about until after we had already started down our journey. Mm -hmm. And so we really had, we, we sat back and kind of assessed, could we do that? Is this something that we, we can do? We want to, ultimately we want to adopt. Ultimately we want to have a family of our own. Are we able to open our homes, open our hearts uh, to some kids that we know may leave uh, at some point? And, and we, we decided after, I mean, thinking about it for a while, talking about it, that yes, we, we definitely could do that. Um, we wanted to be, even if, even if, the child was only in our home for a short period of time. We wanted to be kind of this, the person that showed them that there was love out there. Mm -hmm. um, the family that said, look, you are important. You can be what you need to be. You can be what you want to be. Um, and we care about you. Right. Even if you move on from our lives, you still need to know that somebody out here out there cares about you. And so we wanted to be that family for, for some kids. If, and if it came to an adoption, if eventually we were able to adopt, great. Um, but if not, these, we would know at least that these kids had a, a, a loving home for whatever period they were with us. Wow. So that was, that was kind of how we came to be foster parents. Um, and now <laughs> we have adopted four little girls. Yeah. 
Uh, they are they are currently one and a half, two, three, and four. <laughs> so they are. We have a house full of toddlers. Yeah. Um, we finished our last two adoptions last month. Oh wow! Um, so it's all fairly recent. Uh, we only we were only in the uh, license to be foster parents um, for about three and a half years. Uh, because of the fact that we now have four toddlers in our house, we just recently closed our license um, because we're, we're full. <laughs> we've, got a, we've got a full house, we've got a, a lot of uh, stuff to focus on to make sure that these girls uh, know that we love them, know that they're in a, the family that they were meant to be in, and, uh, and, and kind of give them every opportunity they can have. Did you both want to adopt or did you want to be foster parents? talk about how you and your wife decided we wanted to have a family that's what we wanted we wanted kids in our lives and uh, we wanted to be their parents we wanted to adopt them but again we sat down and said do you what do you think what do, I, I, I mean I asked my wife my wife asked me what would foster care be something that we're able to do because I mean most people when they hear that you're a foster parent say, oh man, that's got to be so hard. Right, I could never do that. I could never do yeah. that. That would, that would, that could never be me. Right. And, and our response to those people is, look, the kids need you. Mm -hmm. You are the type of person that the kids need to be able, you need to be able to open up your heart. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to give them everything that you've got mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and expect that one day they may move on and you, you, your heart will break. Mm -hmm. You will cry right. when they move on from your house. But that's what those kids need. The, ki the kids need love. They need an unconditional love. They need stability. Uh, they need someone in their life who will be there for them. And they, they can know that, again, even if they leave your house, they'll remember that time that they were in your house um, and, had, and had that unconditional love and know that it's out there for them. Um, know that there's, there can be stability for them. When kids move on from your house, and you feel the heartbreak and cry, does it make you stronger or weaker as a couple? I actually think it's made us stronger as a couple. Um, we, we started out with twin girls. Um, <laughs> I like to tell people we, we got twin four-month-olds on two-hour notice. <laughs> so it, that was that was our first placement. That was our first experience as parents. Really? It was uh, it, it was a little bit trial by fire, but yeah. at the end of the day, uh, it was it's been a, it was a great experience. And yeah. they ended up moving on, um, and they're actually the only ones that had that came into our house and, and moved on. The other four that have come into our house now are our adopted wow. daughters. But my wife and I were able to, I mean, again, grow as parents, grow together. Um, kind of bond together, raising children. Uh, you, you rely on each other, especially when you've got four in the house now. You rely on each other a lot. Um, but then the, I mean, having the, the kids go to a family member, it was, it was tough. I mean, we, we, it wasn't tough on our relationship, I wouldn't say. It was just tough on each of us personally. We, all, we, we both had our own way of kind of grieving the loss of the kids that we had grown to, uh, very attached to, uh, since they were, they were in our house for about five months. So they went from four, four months old to nine months old, and that's a very formative time for, for little kids, uh, and it, for, especially for the attachment. And so we got very attached to them, they got very attached to us. Um, and I mean, my wife 
had her, she kind of went aside and had her cry the night before we dropped them off. When we dropped them off with their grandmother, I, I sat in the car. Um, she took them into grandma and, and she was fine there, but I had my cry in the car yeah. as the girls were getting dropped off at the house. Yeah. And it was so, it, we, we, we kind of bonded again through that, through that mutual loss um, and were able to talk about it and able to kind of discuss, this is what we knew would happen. We aren't sad because of where they're going. We're just sad because, again, our piece of our heart is no longer with us. A piece of our heart is gone, gone somewhere else. The beautiful thing, though, is we, my wife did an amazing job of getting to know Grandma um, very well through the visit process um, and kind of extending our own family that way. So we still, they, even though they've left town, we still keep in touch with them. Um, we still send them birthday presents and yeah. Christmas presents, and they, they know that we're here. Um, just kind of become another aunt and uncle. Wow. I'm going to tear up. <laughs> it's so overwhelming. I think a lot of individuals think, like you said, I can never do that. You know, and they tell you, wow, that's not for me. But I think the, the hardest part isn't really the, the actual uh, experience. It's the emotional, I think, struggle or maybe the emotional sort of um, experience that you have. Sure. Can you talk a little bit about that in the sense of being a male? Um, you know, I've met many individuals who the wife is for it maybe, but the husband is more, um, you know, cautious. Okay. Can you talk about your personal sort of thoughts on those? Sure. Yeah. I've always wanted to be a dad. I've wanted. Sure. I've wanted kids. Um, and right. so this is some because we weren't able to have our own. This was some. This is a way for us to do that. And so my wife and I have been all in. Uh, from the beginning, but you're absolutely right about foster care being kind of an emotional roller coaster. Um, you get the, the joy of having the kids in your home, getting to see them grow, getting to see new things that they do every day, uh, and, and then you have the heartbreak of them leaving potentially, um, but just on a daily basis, you have, you have the roller coaster of, okay, what's happening uh, at county now? What, what new rule are we gonna to have to follow now? What happened with, the, did a parent show up for a visit, um, which causes this child to react this way? Did the parent not show up for a visit, which causes the child to react a different way, but also in a way that needs to be dealt with and in a way that needs to be understood um, and, and, and they need to be cared for um, in, a, in, a, in another way. And so there's, there's that kind of up and down. There's the up and down of, are they going back home? Are they going to a family member? Are they staying here? Right. Or after we're told that they're staying here, somebody coming in later and telling us that they're going somewhere else. So you've got, it's just a, it's a constant, a constant, I mean, roller coaster of emotions. And it, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. I, I, there's no doubt about it that it, it's, it, it can be tough some days. But my wife and I kind of just, we, we live by the motto, at least as foster parents and now as parents, you just take it one day at a time. Mm. Um, we, we, you, you roll with the punches, you see what's coming uh, next and, and react properly. Mm -hmm. But you build up in preparation for a lot, of, a lot of the roller coaster, you work on building up your network. I mean, right. you, you build up your network of, of foster parents right. that you can rely on, that can give you tips about what may be coming next. Wow. You build up your network uh, in, your, in your religious community. Uh, of people who can help support you. 
Um, you build up your network in county with the, with the social workers and with the case managers and with the placement uh, and permanency workers. Uh, you, you get to know who over at the county office holds the key to Medicaid uh, and the questions. And so you, you, you find out as much as you can about what is happening in that building so that you then can control the process a little bit better by saying, okay, my child didn't come to me with a Medicaid card. I need that. And I know if I try to get a hold of my caseworker, I may not hear for a couple days. So I've got a phone number for the person who handles the Medicaid because I need to take the child to the doctor now. And so you go and call that person and that person gets you the information you need. And so that's the way we've, we've tried to minimize the uh, kind of the, the emotional roller coaster and just the, I mean, the instability for the kids too, uh, is to, to control as much as we can of the process and whatever we can't control, we just take it day by day. Wow. Well, I can tell, first of all, I'm impressed and I can tell that you're a huge asset to the nonprofit boards that you sit on and CASA and foster parents. The fact that you have that understanding both on the, the operation side, but also on the just the simple human side of how would a child react or respond if their parent shows up. I mean, that's just unbelievable. It's, it's, I mean, there's kids in the foster care system have been through trauma. Right. I mean, they, they, have, they have seen things that, that people their age should never have seen and have never have lived through. Um, they, are, they are at a point in their life where they need someone. Um, and as a foster parent, you have to be that someone for them. Um, you, I mean, we, it's great. We get, let, bring in more CASAs. Let's get people to, to help them from that side. Let's, let's, I mean, build up our social workers. And so the social workers can, can deal with the, the needs of the kids in a better way. But, I mean, front, front line day to day with most of our foster kids is those foster parents. I mean, they're in the house day in, day out with them. And so you, we just have to, we have to be there. You have to understand where these kids are coming from. Um, you have to understand that trauma affects these kids in, in a wide range of ways. Um, and it's gonna manifest in, in multiple ways. Right. And you need to be able to roll with that. Um, again, take it day by day. Take it, sometimes take it minute by minute with the kid, depending on the kid. Um, and, and what they've been through and what they've seen in their life and, and, and just what they're feeling about where they're, they currently are. I mean, we had we had the little kids. We that's that's all we've taken in. That's all we've known. So we've started with. We actually one of our daughters. We got her when she was three days old from the hospital. Our oldest that came into our house was one when we when we took her into the house when she came in, came to us um, from foster care. So they're younger. But when you've got the children who have who have been in abusive situations for 12, 13, 14 years of their life, um, they're going to have and understandably uh, anger issues they're going to have uh, connection issues they're going to have a tough time trusting that you're going to be there for them because other people haven't been um, and you need to you kind of need to be that that stability um, and you need to educate yourself uh, on trauma and and the effects of trauma on kids to be able to do that Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a plethora of wealth and treasure that you have. You know, you talk about uh, stability and security and being a support, being, uh, developing that relationship, having sort of that understanding on the emotions. How have you, or what, what do you think is the best way to support 
your wife in this role, how have you really sort of been that um, person that she can depend on? I don't know exactly. I, I kind of just live my life. I mean, I, I, I've always been very family focused, very family oriented. So I, I make sure I get out of my job at five o'clock every day. If, if it means coming in at 6.30 in the morning, if it means getting up and working at two o'clock in the morning to get something done, I wanna make sure I can leave by five o'clock so that I can get home because she, she has put her career on hold. Um, for the for the kids for the kids that have come into our house, uh, she's currently their preschool teacher. I mean, she she was a high school English teacher, and she she's put that career on hold to to raise these kids, uh, and so she's doing an amazing job with them, and she's doing the lion's share of the work. And so my job is to provide here for them at my job, but also then to go home and and provide for her, give her some time away, give her some support, moral support, just simple adult conversation um, versus toddlers <laughs> yelling or, or talking at you all day long makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, there's actually an organization here in town that, that gives respite care to families oh. that, uh, that are foster families but also families with children with special needs. Mm -hmm. And so we take advantage of that. Um, we, we will sign our kids up and they'll go three times a month for three hours at a time. And we take that time to go and reconnect over dinner, um, or, or go and even just go and run errands and just simply be together um, without the kids screaming in the background to talk about whatever it is she wants to talk about. Um, I mean, we get babysitters and go do. I mean, like tomorrow we're going for our anniversary to have a spa day um, because it's something that that she needs, but it's it's a way for us to reconnect. Um, and just relax and rejuvenate ourselves so that we can be the best we can be for the kids. Wow, so just very intentional and thoughtful, but just doing 
Like, is that like living your life? Yeah, just being a dad. That's yeah. I mean that that's really, I I I am a I'm a parent first and foremost. Mm. I have a career. I have I mean community obligations and all that. But I I need to be a parent first and foremost for for my my wife um, to support her. But for these kids, mm. um, I want I want them to know that uh, that dad puts them number one. Mm. They're they're a priority in my life. Wow. How have you dealt with uh, all of the, the legal minutia of the process? Sure. So being a lawyer helps. Right. Sure. <laughs> that, it does. I, I, I fully admit that. My wife says almost every other day, <laughs> like, I'm really glad that you're a lawyer so you know, sure. you know how to deal with this. Um, but as a foster parent, there is not a lot of the legal side mm -hmm. that we have to do. Um, I mean, there are rules and regulations that county tells us your house to have, has to have X number of fire extinguishers and it has to have, uh, if you've got a second floor, it has to have a fire ladder uh, to escape, things like that. County just gives us that information. Um, so as, as a foster parent, I didn't feel like uh, knowing or not knowing the law was going to be either a huge benefit or an impediment. Um, but as, as you move towards the adoption side, you have to start feeling a little more like you know what's going on. But the nice part about what Washoe County does, at least, is uh, they will pay for an attorney uh, mm -hmm. for an adoption. So if, if you have, if you're a foster parent, they will give you $500 to hire an attorney to do the adoption for you. Wow. And there, are, they have an entire list of uh, of attorneys in town that do adoptions for $500. Wow. So you don't pay a thing um, to have the adoption done. So you get to have your legal expert without worrying about how much it's going to cost you to do that. Wow. And that that's, I mean, that's huge. I don't do family law uh, as a regular basis. That's just not my practice. And so being able to go out and not worry about how much it was going to cost to hire a family lawyer to do that was, was a big benefit. So from never being a dad to the four hour notice and getting the twins, correct? Yep. Yep. And then to now having four children yeah. of your own. How has that maybe the insecurities or the uncertainty of the, in the beginning, how has that transformed over time to where you are today? So last month when we fin finished the last two adoptions, it yeah. was it was like a huge weight off. I mean, it was, my wife she has a calendar at home and where she writes down all of the kids' meeting, appointments and meetings and everything. She flipped it from May to June and there was nothing on the calendar. <laughs> It was, it was it was amazing. Uh, it just kind of was it was very freeing, and it, it gives us a sense of okay, this is it. We are now. This is our family unit. Um, this is who we are. This is this is what we're going to be going forward, um, and we can we can plan for that now. Whereas opposed to the uncertainty of okay, is so and so going home? Is so and so is so and so going home and then coming back? Uh, I mean, what 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 do we do? Our plan was never to have four kids. That was never our plan. We went into into this thinking two, maybe three. Um, it just turned out that, that I mean, God had a different plan for us. It was it was meant to be that these four kids would be our daughters, uh, and and we were very happy and and just getting settled into into being a family forever. Um, it's it's it was unusual to be able to go down to Carson City without having to send an email to our caseworker saying, hey, we're leaving the county. It's just a big weight yeah. off. Uh, you don't have to worry about, I mean, again, the very specific regulations about what has to be in your house or how it has to be. You do what's safe and what's best for you and your family. 
good. Nobody, nobody is questioning that in yeah. the background. So it's a home. Wow. that's nice. What has this done to your heart personally, um, both in faith and personal? And yeah, becoming a father. How, how has that changed you? I feel like it's changed me for the better. I mean, so there, there are always stressful moments at times where I'm just like, okay, I need to have a little more patience. I need to be a little more understanding. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, I feel like my, our, our family, which was me and my wife for the longest time, was very tight, very close. Um, and that has just grown. Um, and so, I mean, my heart has found new places I didn't know I had for, for new kids, for, for the kids in our house, for the kids that have left our house, for, for the kids that are still in the system that will never even know me. Um, it's, it's opened me up to how can I help? How can I help more? I know personally I can't take every kid into my house. That's just not possible. That's not realistic. It's not good for any of the kids once we get to a certain point because I'm going to be so stressed out that it will, would not be good. But I can help. There's something I can do, whether it be praying for the kids that are in foster care, whether it be finding a group of foster parents and figuring out how I can support them with the knowledge that I have with the network I've built. Um, if, if it's just simply going over to county every once in a while and bringing a box of donuts to the social workers who are so overworked. Right. Um, it's, there, there are ways that I can help, there are ways that I can do things for these kids, um, even if I don't bring them into my home. Absolutely. And so that's, I, I feel like, again, it's just opened, opened my heart up, um, opened my, my mind up to thinking of other ways to, to help the kids. I said that there are ways I can help the kids or there are ways that I can 
you know, in a sense, love the kids without yeah. bringing them into your home. Yeah. Absolutely. I think one of the biggest, you know, questions that, or maybe concerns or uh, thoughts that people have are, are foster kids and adopted kids different than biological kids? But there, are, there are ways that these, I mean, families who have biological children and still feel like they have room to grow, still feel like they have love to give, still feel like they want to be able to help by actually bringing kids into their house beyond just supporting other ways. Absolutely. Uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of room for them to do that. And there are a lot of ways that you can let these children that you're bringing in know that you are my child just as much as this flesh and blood is my child. Uh, I mean, there, we, there's, there, I don't think there's any huge issue with being able to do that. There are, there are families who do that very, very well. Um, and that's that's a gift. I agree. That's that's something that uh, I mean, you not only as the parents, it's a gift for them, but it's it is a it is a gift as well of the uh, the biological children to to bring these other kids in as as flesh and blood essentially, without uh, without trying to I mean, make them feel any different. Um, and, and those kids those kids can show a lot of grace uh, as well. Absolutely. Now, when we were corresponding back and forth in the emails, and I was asking you to do an interview, and you mentioned the the decision that you've taken to protect the stories of, of, of your daughters. Yep. Can you talk about how you came to that decision, and, and it's, just, it's just the impact of what that means for them and for you? Sure, sure. I mean, my wife and I want our we, we want to be able to, again, go out and help other foster kids in, in whatever way we can. So, I mean, doing this interview is one of the ways that I saw being able to potentially help foster kids. But we also want our daughters to have the sense that they have ownership over their own lives and ownership over their own story. We don't want people to hear, hey, I know so-and-so has been adopted. Hey, I know so-and-so was in foster care. Because people in the world will treat you differently. They can treat you differently, but a lot of I mean, there there are a lot of people in this world who will treat you differently, knowing that you're adopted, knowing that you're you were a foster kid, uh, and, and that may make they may try to make you feel like less of a person for that. And I don't want any of my daughters to to go out into the community and have people already think, oh, that's that's a foster kid, that's an adoptive kid. Um, I, I want them to just say, that's my kid, that's that's, that's Nathan's kid. Uh, and I, I, I want them to be able, if they want to share their story at some point down the road, to do that. And I want them to be, able to, to be old enough to make that decision in an informed way. Um, I want them to be able to, to also be able to, to form their story uh, in a way that they want it presented to, to the world. Um, for them to, to kind, of, kind of have their story told for them about who their parents were and where they came from and what their situation was before they came into our house and what our situ and what their situation is after coming into our house. I mean it almost it, it's that is more in my mind of trying to give myself the glory. Right. And I don't want that's not that's not what I'm doing this for. Right. I'm doing this to help to, for these kids. I, I, I did it to open up my heart but open up our family um, to, to actually create a family and have a family. I mean we came at this as I said from the beginning, in a bit of a selfish way. We wanted a family. Um, and so that's that's how we started down this road. And so for them to be in our house was more of a selfish thing from my side than it was 
me going out and trying to to, to save these kids. Right. That's the one thing I don't like um, when I hear foster parents or, or adoptive parents or anybody giving off the impression that they are somehow saving these children. Um, that that's that's not what you're doing. These right. these kids these these kids need help. These kids need support. They need love. But you are not their savior. Right. Um, you you are there to to be. The strength that they need, you're there to be the support that they need, but you are you are not the end all be all. They shouldn't. And when you, because when you give off that persona, what you tell the child is, you should be grateful to me. Absolutely. You don't need to be grateful to right. me. You're 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 in my house. I'm here to care for you, but you don't need to be grateful to me. You've been through too much to have to worry about <laughs> what I feel or how you should feel towards me. I'm not your savior. That's not me. That was that was that's a different guy, um, but uh, that I mean that's kind of where I come at this from. And I, I again I get a little I, you could tell I get a little I get a little riled up yeah. when I hear people talking about how they I, I I saved this kid, or even when people in the community tell us, oh those kids are so lucky. Right. They're not lucky. Right. They are they at their young age, especially the ones who came in our house. They are probably the least lucky <laughs> kids on the face of the earth. Right. They're not. They're not lucky. Right. I mean, they, they came to my house because they were in a bad situation. Uh, that is that is not lucky. I, I'm, I'm glad that we can help them. I'm glad that they can be in our house. I'm glad that we can love them. I'm glad that they can be part of our family now. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that that worked out that way. But they are not lucky. I mean, we're the lucky ones. That's what I tell everybody. I'm I'm the lucky one that they get to they get to come into my life. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's amazing. Is that how you introduce your, your daughter? You just said, this is my daughter. Absolutely. And what, when people say, you know, oh, like, are these the kids you adopted? Or how does that conversation play out? It's a little awkward. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, we're not going to, like, this This is, our, our per, we're, we're not liars. We don't, we don't go out and be like, oh, no, 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 there are. There are. <laughs> yeah. But you also can tell, I mean, we, we've adopted uh, two of our girls. Um, are, are different ethnicities than we are. Um, actually, three of our girls are different ethnicities than we are. And so they don't look like us. Um, and so it, it's pretty easy to tell, especially when my wife and I are both together with them, it's very easy to tell that they're not our biological children. So people will ask. Um, and we, we do tell them, yes, we don't go into detail. We just said, yep, we, we, they're, our, they're our daughters. Um, We've adopted them. Even when they were in foster care, we, we never tell anybody they were foster daughters. Right. They are our daughters. Yeah. Um, that's just, that's who they are. And now, I mean, our names are on their birth certificates. And so they're our daughters. Yeah. That's all you need to yeah, know. Yeah, that's great. That's exactly <laughs> how, that's, that's the best way to have that sort of conversation. Right. Talk about the sort of network or that the resources that you sort you depended and leaned on. Sure. So we, I mean, in addition to the network that we built at the county offices right. um, to be able to get paperwork and things done a little quicker. Um, we've we've gone out and we've I mean I've made a lot of friends through work here. Uh, we've gone out into the community uh, through church and, and gotten to know people. Um, we have uh, I've gone out into the community and done again nonprofit work, gotten to know people that way. Uh, my wife has done an amazing job again of, of getting to know the families mm-hmm. of our girls, the girls that have been in our house. Um, even the girls that are in our house permanently, she got to know their families, uh, grandparents, uh, parents, siblings that aren't in our house. Um, 
and we've built our we've built our family out um, by being open uh, to that possibility. Uh, I mean, I know there 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 are foster families who sometimes feel a little bit like the biological families are the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, that should not be the approach mm-hmm. to this. I mean, as a foster parent, my first job, my wife's first job, was to try to reunite these kids with their parents. That's our first, that's a, that is our job as a foster parent. Your, your first goal is to get them back home. Uh, and if that doesn't work, then something else will come up. But in order to do that, you need to work together with the biological families. You need to, you need to be open to, even though they're going through things you may not understand, to try to understand them, to try to see where they're coming from, to give them the grace that they need, to give them an ear that they need, to give them sometimes the hope that they need. Uh, you can offer things that they don't have because of because of where my wife and I come from we have had different opportunities uh, we come from a, a different place of privilege than a lot of these families do uh, different socioeconomic level there are there are networks that we've been able to build that these people have, don't even know about because they have not been given that opportunity they've not grown up in a place where that was that was an option for them uh, and so to even be able to give them a name of someone to call for something that they're looking for, uh, if they're, they're looking for a job, I mean, to be able to talk to them and find out what type of work they like to do, what type of work they're good at, what type of, and, and see if you've got somebody that you know of that may be able to help them. Um, to be that resource for the families, in addition, is, is a huge benefit, but at the end of the day, you walk away with another family member. You walk away with another person that you care about and that cares about you and that knows that they have somebody else in this world who, who is thinking about them. Um, even if, again, it doesn't work out, the, the children don't go back to them, they still know that there was somebody who cared for them. Yes. Just just like the kids. The same, same situation because, I mean, a lot of these parents are in places and have come from places that aren't much better than where their kids came. Probably sometimes worse, right. but the system just didn't get involved, right. uh, and so they they have they have issues that they need to work through, issues that I will never understand, um, and, and and kind of reasons for what they do that I will never understand. But I need to just be an ear. I need to be again full of grace towards them, towards their situation, uh, and 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 try to understand things from their side their point of view uh, without again feeling superior feeling like you're 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 an enemy of the, the biological parent right. somehow you're working against each other um, working together is way better for the kids at the end of the day wow that's interesting was it eye-opening or shocking or difficult at all having the parental rights severed the, the process was yeah. was something that I didn't know anything about before going into it um, and every time that we ended up at a, at a termination of rights uh, hearing, I, I mean, I, I cried. I, again, I sat there and I felt genuinely bad for these parents who were losing their rights to these kids. And I, I also felt bad because I felt good that these children were going to be joining my home. So I felt guilty in a way. Like, look, I mean, this, they're, they're, they're taking away the parents' rights to give the child to me, and I, I'm so grateful that they, the county chose us as their family. I'm so grateful that these kids are going to be in our life forever. But at the end of the day, 
they just lost this legally lost at least this connection um, with their family and, and that's that's sad uh, it, it, was a, it was a sad day each time we, we went through one of those hearings Wow so it sounds like you you have a, a, a large amount of empathy and compassion and, and sympathy um, what's the most important characteristic do you think you know in order to love a child the most important to love a child well it takes a lot of patience I mean it takes a lot of patience with the children um, because they're gonna do things their, their brains are not fully formed yet and not for quite some time they're gonna do things that at times you will feel like where is your mind <laughs> and so but you have to have patience with them you have to have patience with yourself because you're gonna screw up as a parent that's just what happens uh, There's a little bit of trial and error. You, you do what you think is best for the kid, and turns out that it wasn't. Um, you, you have to have patience with yourself. I think. I mean, behind, shortly, close, very close behind patience is grace. I mean, you have to have you have to have a grace to understand what the child is going through. Grace to give them that next chance um, without kind of severing the the trust immediately you have to have grace for yourself because again you're going to screw up but you you need to have that to move forward like look i i i messed up be very forthcoming i mean even with our four-year-old at times i'll say i'm sorry that was i, I that was not the right decision uh, i apologize if you feel a certain way let's move on uh, let's let's do something different um and so to be able to have that grace for yourself and not continually beat yourself up about decisions that you made that didn't work out Absolutely. quite the right way. As we're closing up and we're wrapping up, can you talk a little bit about your involvement in the community and the responsibilities that you have? Sure. No, I, through my work, obviously, I, I have a lot of um, interaction with the community, with the business community. Um, so I, I kind of try to, to take that and use it in my other community involvement. I'm currently on the board for the Washoe Casa Foundation, uh, which is the, the group that helps to raise funds and raise awareness and bring in volunteers for the Washoe Casa program. Um, so we, what we do is our job is, as I see it at least, is to go out there and bring in as many people who can be advocates for our kids in foster care, who can be the voice of those kids in the courtroom when uh, they, the kids feel like they absolutely have no voice. Uh, especially for the little ones it, it's it, you need somebody that's going out there and looking at the kids uh, school looking at the kids foster home situation looking at the kids biological parents looking at the kids doctors uh, all of those visits putting that Pete all together for the court um, because without that the court only gets a kind of very two-dimensional picture of the child um, with our advocates that, that who are the best volunteers in the world they go out and they get that whole picture. They can present that in one report to the court and give the judge kind of this 360 degree view of the child and their life. And that is invaluable for these judges who are having to make the decisions about what is best for this child. Yeah. Um, what is the best outcome we can reach for this child? What is the best place that they can be? What is it that they need now from me as a judge? And the only way they get to know that is, is from our CASAs because everybody else in the room has a point of view. The county has a point of view uh, as to what they think is best for the child. 
the parents' lawyers have their point of view about what they think is best for the child and what they think is best to, for representation of their client. Uh, and at the end of the day, even well, even nowadays, the kids have their own lawyers. Right. And so they have a point of view of what the child thinks is best for the child, mm. um, which may not always be best for right. the child because, again, their brains are not completely formed. Uh, and so to have the advocates, the, the court-appointed special advocates, which is what CASA stands for, in the courtroom to tell the judge, look, judge, I know what you've heard from every one of these constituencies here today, but here's the whole picture and here's what we believe is best for the child, given that whole picture, without tainting it from the, 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 the side of, of, of actual advocacy and pushing for a particular client. You are pushing for the best outcome for the kid. Um, and so that's what, that's what drew me to CASA. I mean, the idea that these, these people can go into courtroom, courtrooms and make such a difference uh, in the life of a child and, and improve the outcomes for these kids in a drastic way. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we do not have enough of enough CASAs in our community. We have somewhere between 900 to 1,000 foster kids at any point in time in Washoe County, and we only have a little over 100 volunteers that are CASAs. Uh, and so I mean, we, we can always use more, and so that's why, that's why I'm working with the CASA board. the number of our CASAs and, and increase the awareness of the program so even if somebody can't be a CASA they can again help in some way. Thank you for listening. I'm currently in the process of creating a podcast channel to support children in the foster care system. The mission is to enable people to say I have to get involved. My family has to get involved. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Nathan. This is one of many great interviews to come. And finally, I would love to interview you if you have any experience with foster care in any capacity.